Hello, residents of Meepletown. This is Dean. This is Darren. And today, we're going to talk about, we're talking about board games like we do every day. And we're going to be talking about the top five games that got us, specifically Darren, into the hobby. So thanks for joining us for episode 132. All right, Meeple Town, it is the day you have been waiting for. You have been sitting on the edge of your seats for months now, just waiting for this moment when Meeple Town would be back on its feet and complete with a brand new co-host. Is that right? Uh, and, and I know, I know what you're thinking. That that it's it's here. There's tears streaming down your faces, and uh, balloons. I'm imagining uh, maybe some confetti popping in the air. Right, you, <laughs> Darren, you're laughing. Is that me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm feeling. I've got, I've got the tears, just the warm, wet tears going down my, tears down my cheeks. There's confetti filling my office. Tears of it's, joy. It's a party. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm here with you. But other than that, it is, it is amazing. Right. Excited to be here with the lovely residents of Meeple Town. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm pumped to kind of start off on this new adventure and you know go yeah finally have some stability i've really enjoyed having all the guests that we've had on it's been a lot more enjoyable honestly than i i thought that it would be that sounds terrible because it's not like i didn't want to have guests <laughs> and i didn't want to hang out with the wonderful people that we've had on it is a lot more work and so part of me was dreading that piece of it and part of me is uh sad that part is moving on but i'm i'm really thrilled to have some more consistency and be able to kind of plan a little bit different and honestly just selfishly i'm i'm excited about having more help <laughs> to do all this you are you did an amazing job though dean i really enjoyed hearing the the podcast with when it was just you and also when the with all the all the lovely guests you had i'm really jealous of the okay. guests that you had on i mean they y'all y'all did some great list um, got to talk to some fascinating people. Um, it's been a blast. Of course, you know, no one can ever fill the hole left by all hail co-founder Johnny Meepletown. May his memory be a blessing. And no one can ever fill his shoes, but um, but no, you, you've done a wonderful job of, of keeping this ship floating and, and driving it in a positive direction. And it's been great and happy to join in and hopefully help out a little more. Yeah, I'm I'm excited too, and and you know, John, I think is still a listener and, and might still pop in. Maybe we can get the three of us on here at one point. But uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And you know, I I'm not saying hey, we are done with guests on this show forever. I, I would love to have some more people on, and and some of the ones that we've had on recently are, have said hey, I'd love to do this again. Steve O'Rourke is like I'll I'll do this show anytime. So yeah, we'll we'll have some more guests on in the future. But for now. Things are a little bit change are changing a little bit. So behind the scenes, give you a little insight of what's been going on. Darren and I have been talking for a couple months now and planning for months of, you know, what we want this to look like, some changes that we want, maybe some things that that are going to stay the same. And so, right now during this banter section, I just wanted to kind of give you an idea of where we're headed in the future. And I'm speak speaking specifically podcast here. There's some things that I'd like to do on video that I'm just not ready to to really get uh, going in that direction yet. Although there are some some videos I'm hoping to release here in the next couple weeks. Uh, well, they might already, hopefully they're already released. I'll say that because this is an episode that's being recorded 
early June, but it's not going to release until late June. In fact, there's going to be an episode that <laughs> that you've already listened to that we haven't even recorded yet. And so it's it's all out of order and out of whack. But as far as the podcast is concerned, some of the things that we want to do is uh, have uh, one of the things that we want to do is have a a cycle of episodes. And so what Darren and I have done, we've got a kind of a four week cycle where we are going to be recording every other week, recording two podcasts at a time. So the hope is, if we can keep it up, the hope is that we're going to do a weekly podcast, but we're going to record it every other week. That's a little little behind the scenes, you know, breaking that fourth wall kind of, is that, was that what you say? Breaking the fourth wall? Breaking? I'm not sure window? that's breaking any walls. Nope, no, nothing wall breaking. There. There's no, there's no wall breaking going on there. But it is a testimony to the miracle of modern technology and time travel. Okay, well, the, <laughs> yes, we are going to be traveling in time here. The, but the hope is to do these cycle episodes. So we're going to be doing different segments than you might have heard in the past. We're not going to be doing reviews every single week. We're not going to be doing top list every single week. But we will whoa, whoa, be doing. We're not. We're not going to be doing what every single <laughs> week. <laughs> oh. I gotta think of a better way of saying that. Top five <laughs> lists. We are not gonna go. be doing that every week, but we will be doing it hopefully once a month or, or maybe more. We're gonna be doing what we call the Meepletown Jazz Club. Right? Ooh, We're gonna be getting on yeah. here with our instruments and playing some jazz music. Very and, melodious. Yeah, no, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna be we're gonna be playing uh talking about games that we're jazzed about playing. How about that? That's mm-hmm. that's clever. with our tops on. Tops All the on, time. on the <laughs> we are going to be having a news segment that that pops up every once in a while. We are going to be leaning more into answering mailbag questions. That's going to be a, a, a frequent segment that we do on the show. So we're going to ask you to send some mail in some questions. So anyway, things are going to be changing a little bit, but you'll still see some of the same things that we've done in the past. Right. Yeah. Why wait? Go ahead and give them that uh, that email address. So if they've got burning questions right now, they can go ahead and, and start sending them our way. That's right. So if you do want to send any questions in, like you know, how dare you, or what gives you the right? <laughs> any any of any questions that you want to ask us at all, you can send that to MeepletownMail at gmail dot com. And you know what? You're gonna get you're gonna get these read on the air. How about that? And we're gonna answer mm-hmm. them to the best of our abilities. So that's so that's, just be ready. Yeah, that that's kind of the direction that we're going to be going in, and I'm excited. I'm excited about having this this cycle, and some of that might change over time. We're also hoping to do episodes that are a little bit closer to an hour time. Uh, Forty five minutes to an hour is the target. Although I realize that if we go over, that's fine too. You know, it's we're not going to be sticklers about this, and we're not just going to like abruptly cut it off at forty five minutes. Yeah, maybe. So, Maple Town, we ask that you be patient with us as we go through this evolution process. Things will continue to evolve. Be patient with me as you know, jumping into this and kind of filling in um, these these large shoes that have been left, and as Dean and I work some of this stuff out. But uh, it will happen. It will be magical. And uh, Golden Geek Awards, look out! <laughs> My guess is your shoes are bigger than, than John's, you know. Well, that may be true. Actual shoe size. That may be true. I think John's uh, four, a uh, seven, and, seven and a half. That's what he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a tiny little person. Uh, 14, <laughs> baby, 14. I'm, I'm, I'm twice Whoa. the man John is. You're a size 14 shoe? 15, depending on the type of shoe. Holy moly. How tall are you, Darren? People need to, they can't see you, so they need to know. 
Just so you know, I stand at a staturely 6'5", 200 pounds, lean, mean podcasting machine. <laughs> that is that is a podcast build if I've ever heard one. I mean... Mm-hmm. With, <laughs> with a face for radio, baby. That's... <laughs> Okay, so how? Why, Darren? That's what you're asking. Why? Who is this guy? That's what how, I'm asking. How dare you? And what gives you the right? See, people are actually going to ask that question. How do we know each other, Darren? And how long have we known each other? Wow, um, that's a great question. I would say we probably met in the early 2000s. Um, no, I take that back. We went to the same university, but without even knowing each other. Um, I'm quite a bit older. I think I was on my way out when you were on your way in. and But I think we met for the first time uh, when I was helping out my church start a a new, or can I, I guess not start a new, but rebuild, kind of relaunch a, a campus ministry. And because you do campus ministry there in Middle Tennessee, uh, I was as well. I am also uh, from Nashville, Tennessee. And Someone, a mutual friend, introduced us to each other. I believe it was at a conference uh, the very first time, one that was at uh, there in Nashville. And then once oh, I yeah. kind of progressed yeah. with um, with the ministry, I knew that I was way out of my league and over my head. And so when I turned to someone for help, who else would I turn to except the living legend, Dean Dunning? <laughs> so, and so, yeah, so, I don't so know we how would meet. <laughs> Well, you know, so so we started getting together like once a week for coffee, and I think things just sort of blossomed from there. And um, it's been a beautiful friendship. Yeah, totally agree. Long, long years. Yeah, and and but you don't live in Nashville now, which is why we need to record remotely. You're up in the great, (laughs) the great white north. Well, uh, I was going to say the great state of Indiana (laughs) is what I was going to say. (laughs) Well, when you're when you're from the south and you move up here above the Mason Dixon line here in the the blustery Midwest where there are six months of winter, it feels like the great white north sometimes. But (laughs) yes, we've been here for ten years now. Ten years. Wow. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that that's kind of where where we've. where we met, where we started, and then somewhere along the way, and I, I honest to goodness don't remember this, and you might, the the board game connection, and maybe this gets into, when we do our top five today, Darren's going to be sharing his his top five games that got him into the hobby, which is how we started off the podcast. Episode one was how John and I got into the hobby, and so I thought that'd be a great place to start, but I our connection in board gaming, I don't know, was it that was it that you were already in board games and that, and that we just, I don't know. I don't know. Did I, I don't, I didn't get you into it cause we didn't really play games together. Well, you're right. We didn't play games together, but you did get me into it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think part of that story will come out during the, during the top five. We can go ahead and talk some about some of that now, or, or we can wait till then. Okay. But, well, uh, let's hold off on it. Cause that, that, okay. that's the suspense will build up and people won't just shut us down <laughs> right now. Go. They're like, I have something to listen for. That's right, right now. So a little okay, tease, well, a little tease. That's great. And and so Darren and I, we see each other. Uh, I you heard, have heard me talk about a conference that I go to in Florida every January. Um, if you remember my exact yearly schedule, because <laughs> well, they all do. They've got it marked on their calendars. Oh no, right. Dean's going to Florida this month. Let's pray for him. <laughs> that's right. So Darren and I have a standing uh, a standing date where we just get together and talk in uh, at Duncan. Yeah, it's donuts our Dunkin' every, Donuts every Dean year. date. That's right, and and so we we and we hang out. We play games together. 
typically, if Darren's in town, we get together, go over to Game Point Cafe and hang out for a couple hours and catch up and play board games and all that good stuff. And so that that's um, we've maintained this friendship and connection over the years. Darren went with us to Pax U a couple years ago, so you've heard his name mentioned there. And um, so I'm thrilled. We we can move on past this part, but I really am thrilled to have Darren on the show, not just because I think Darren has a lot to offer and, and has a great insight and we share, you know, some interest in some, some specific board games, but just because I get to hang out with my friend too. You know, I look forward to, to being able to do this so we can maintain that connection, uh, you know, more than we, than we already do. So, so thanks for joining yeah. us. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm yeah. pumped. Can't oh. wait. It's going to be a blast. Darren does play board games, and I play board games, so let's go ahead and move into that area where we're going to talk about what games we have been playing lately. Now, we've both got a couple that we're going to talk about this week, and um, again, we're bear with us as we kind of figure out this whole time scheme thing. We'll, we'll get there at some point. may not be today, but a game that we played together that I want to talk about first, if that's all right, is World Breakers Advent of the... Kanate? Kanat? Kanate? You got me. No clue. K-H-A-N-A-T-E. This is a game that came out this year. We we played this as a uh, head-to-head or solo play. Uh, you can play this solo as well. Uh, but it's a, a head-to-head card game a la Magic the Gathering where you are trying to uh, accomplish a goal in this, in this, uh, exam, in this game, in, in this genre. You're trying to get 10 points basically is how that works and i'm going to be playing cards i'm going to be playing locations out in front of me and each uh, player is going to start off with a specific deck now this is a game that can be customizable but it also comes with pre-constructed decks in the box and it's a deck of 30 cards and you're going to be taking five cards in your hand you're going to be paying whatever the mana stuff is you know it's it's again Magic the Gathering-esque, or any of those type of games. Mythium is the what you're using in this one, so it's the currency. You're going to be using Mythium to play cards uh, and to do different things. And you'll put out locations, and the locations will uh, also do different things. As you explore the locations, they will give you victory points, or they will give you, I don't know, different special abilities, allow you to put other followers out in front of you. Uh, but you're going to be putting followers out in front of you, and they're going to battle each other and get points and, and all that good stuff. So any any of these head-to-head type card games, it has some similarities to that. And I don't mean to say like this is a generic game. I'm just saying the general idea is kind of the same. Play cards out in front of you, attack each other, and all that. Now, Darren and I played this. I had played it once before, and I only have experience with two-player. I've not played this solo yet. But I want to hear your thoughts on this before I share some of my thoughts. What did, what did you think of this one? World Breakers. I'm sorry I dozed off. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's not just John that I put this. <laughs> no, 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 no. The um, world. I, I lost you after you were trying to pronounce the the name of it. I felt like you know, if you're a professional, you would have looked that up ahead of time. I don't, how do you look that up? <laughs> I, I don't. Did you put that in like YouTube? Pronounce like how to pronounce whatever oh, that is. Okay. That makes more. I sense. feel like that's usually my go-to. Um, you know, this is not this is not my kind of game. I typically have. I've never played Magic. I've never played a collectible or a trading card game, whatever that distinction is. Um, I've played living card games and, and those types of games, uh, like Marvel Champions and Arkham Horror and those type. So th- this was a, a unique experience for me. And and I, I don't know if these are the, the the decks that we played. Were they the two decks that they suggested that you start with, or that just two random ones that you opened? 
I think I just did two random ones that, that we played with okay. in this game. And okay. I, uh, wow, without looking at it, I think it comes with four four pre-constructed decks. I could, don't quote me on that. Yeah. Well, I remember, I, th- I, I think you were the, the main character of that one, the the namesake of the game. I can't remember. You were a very aggressive deck, because I remember, that just swarmed out there with with the troops you had put out. And, and I played Marco Polo, which is very much about trying to find these location cards. And uh, the location cards could give you great abilities if you could find the location cards and get the Mythium to pay for them. Mm-hmm. I really struggled with this <laughs> to to try to find that rhythm of how to how to use the cards, how to use your resources. But at the same time, I really kind of dug like what it was doing and 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 how it did it. It was the kind of game that wow, I just got shellacked. I think you beat me ten to three. I think was the final score with the uh, in PowerPoints, but it was enough though. It was interesting enough playing Marco Polo that that made me want to try that deck again and then especially after hearing you talk about how all the different decks of that game they're all pre-built and they're all asymmetrical they all play differently and do very different things that's kind of intriguing it wasn't the best experience for me but i kind of dug it and i went my planet again yeah so basically what i did is i i learned my deck as well as i possibly could and then just threw darren to the wolves so that i could crush him like the buggy like every good board game teacher should (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh it is conate conate okay. is, is what it is so this is the um like well the done. going back to um it's uh uh those who are ruled by con basically is um so there's mm. that historical aspect the it's um mongol ruled conates is yeah so loosely based historical fiction card game yeah, 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 and, okay. and I think Very the characters nice. that we used were were the Canate, um faction and the Marco Polo. I think is what we did, but yeah. but yeah, I I really like I love actually love the theme of this because there's yeah I think it is the four factions that it comes with. They each use the Mythium for a specific purpose in in their faction, meaning like. If uh, oh, gosh, I'm not looking at the rule book because it has it's explained really well in the rule book and what this looks like. But like one of the factions might say, I use Mythium within my clothes, within my uh, weapons or whatever, so that I uh, my weapons are really strong. Or I use it in my you know the the faction that you had specifically was was building up locations, and so Mythium is within the building. So how you use utilize that that Mythium is is really creative. I'm finding myself so I. One thing I don't know if I love, but mainly because I don't think I want to invest much time into, is the uh, not not deck building, but deck construction. I love deck building games, but I don't always love the construction part of deck constructors. And that that goes for any of those type games, those LCGs like uh, Arkham Horror LCG. Right. The deck construction part is not the part that gives get me gets me jazzed. It's the story yeah. aspect and it's the the card play itself. Um, and same. so finding pre-constructed decks is is really exciting for me. I, uh, same thing for Marvel Champions, any of those games, okay? The thing I like about this game is that it does that. It gives you the pre-constructed decks, but it also gives you the option, if that is your thing, because a lot of people love constructing decks, it gives you the option to be able to do that with the cards that are, that are within the box. Uh, okay, power, I didn't know that. Yeah, so power is what you're trying to gain in this. That's the victory points. And I think it plays out really cool. This is a quick, a, a pretty quick game. In uh, on BGG, it says that it is a, 
30 to 45 minute game. I think most games probably would take about 30 minutes, especially if you're used to and you know the decks, you know how they play out, you know their strengths and all that. I really like this one. Um, and again, because it's not one that I have to construct decks, I can just hand you a deck, I take a deck, we battle it out. And I, one thing I'm realizing about myself is that how much I love these type of games. I love LCGs. I love um, Imperial Settler type games. Even Summoner Wars kind of fits in that category a little bit, that, that card play, even though it almost acts like miniatures. I really dig those kind of games. This is a small box game. I really recommend it. If you're, if you're into this sort of thing and you're not interested in building up, spending a lot of time constructing decks, I highly recommend it. But even if you like that, you might still enjoy doing that in this one. So that is World Breakers Advent of the Canate by i didn't even mention this is a self-published game by eli amir they reached out to us so this was a uh, this was a review copy that they sent over to us i'm hoping to get a quick video done of this one um, not to show the gameplay necessarily but to just kind of talk about my thoughts and show some of the components on there so look forward to that in the weeks to come all right very what nice. you've been playing well, let's go from a very small box game to a very large, extremely huge, gargantuan, over 40 pounds of plastic and cardboard type game. I've been playing Frosthaven oh. a lot, a oh, lot of yeah. Frosthaven. So this is obviously um, the Kickstarter behemoth uh, from Isaac Childress and Cephalofair Games and a slew of artists that contributed to this. And... Um, again, I, I'm someone who has played all the way through the Gloomhaven. We didn't solve all the puzzles and find all the mysteries. We did some, but we, uh, a buddy of mine and I, we spent a year or so playing through Gloomhaven, uh, meeting once a week. I've soloed through Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion and, and now going back through that with, uh, with the student, uh, that we work with up here. And, uh, but so a buddy of mine and I, we are now going through the Frosthaven campaign. We get together weekly and, uh, well, I think we're about six scenarios through, just started it uh, a few weeks ago. And man, this is a, a monster in, in so many ways. It is, it is everything that Gloomhaven was, the, the clever card play. If you don't think about, again, I think we can assume people know a lot about Gloomhaven, but if, just in case you don't, this is a massive campaign style game. Frosthaven has over a hundred different types of scenarios, um, like 18 different classes of characters or more. And it's the, the, huge dungeon crawl where you're going through dungeons, you're fighting monsters, but it's not like rolling dice and seeing what happens. It's all based on card play. The monsters have card decks. Each character has a card deck and uh, you put your two cards down and the initiative uh, number on the cards determines who goes and when. And then you're taking a top action from one of your cards and a bottom action from another one of your cards. And man, the the possibilities of what you can do are endless. It's amazing uh, just how creative they have been in developing these characters and, and the way they interact and the story that's there. Um, Frosthaven is no different than the others, except that they've taken almost everything that people wanted for Gloomhaven and now they've thrown it into Frosthaven and then there's a lot, you know, now when you go off and you fight, uh, when you come back into, into Frosthaven, uh, there's this outpost phase you go through where you are constructing buildings in the, in the town and you're helping repair walls because not only do you have these road events that you may face when you're going out on your journeys. Now, when you come back to Frosthaven, there's, 
uh, city events and things that will happen. People may attack you. And so you're collecting resources, not just money when you're out fighting and you're using these resources to help build a town. And you don't just necessarily just buy whatever items you want. Sometimes you have to craft them. And so you're collecting herbs and, and various things in the woods to, to, um, to create these potions and items. And it's, it's been a blast And each scenario has been so vastly different. It feels a lot harder so far than some of the early ones in Gloomhaven, but, um, but it has been exciting. There's definitely those stand up moments where you're like, Oh no, you know, what's going to happen. And you're, and you're trying to scheme and, and figure out what, um, who should go in and what they should do. And the, the, the interaction there is, is great, but there is a lot more to take in, um, but at the same time, they've also cleaned up some of the rules. They've streamlined a few things like monster movement, I think is a little bit easier. Um, but we, we, we continue to have a blast. It, uh, it was well worth the, the, the $100 Kickstarter price that we, that we paid as opposed to the 250 that you poor schmucks out there <laughs> have to pay if you're buying it in retail. It is, uh. it is beastly, but, um, but yeah, so we're, so we're playing that. We're actually meeting to play that tonight again. So. Oh, that's um, great. So it, now you played. I would. I'm wondering how many people have actually played all the way through Gloomhaven. You have played through Gloomhaven. I have. It would be a nice question to see out there. I wonder if Steph Lafair has that information. How many people that have bought it and have actually played all the way through? Yeah, yeah. I so I have not <laughs> at all. I've actually only played through. I think it is unfortunate. Just a couple of those. <laughs> I've played mostly through Jaws of the Lion, but never made it all the way through that either. Hoping that my oldest will play through that with me. But I did pick up Frosthaven because if my son does like that, and he's at that age where he could play it, I just don't know if he's wanting to. My youngest son, I don't think he would be ready for that yet. So I'm kind of balancing that out, figuring it out. But from your perspective then, since you've played through that, could somebody just jump into Frosthaven? Or do you think... Now, it's a little bit different now too because Gloomhaven 2nd Edition is has right. just been announced it's going to be coming out next year. So could somebody say, yeah. I really want to play Gloomhaven second edition but maybe i'm going to play frosthaven first and then jump into that is that a possibility yeah i think that's a possibility i would think anyone if they're unsure about whether or not they want to jump into the gloomhaven universe uh i would definitely start with the jaws of the lion because it does such an amazing job of kind of onboarding you into the game and it's only 20 something scenarios like 25 26 yeah and so again if most people aren't playing gloomhaven most people that I've heard that have said they've stopped never even made it 20 or so scenarios in. So if you're thinking about playing, play Jaws of the Lion because the the characters are fantastic. Uh, the, the interaction, the cards are great. Uh, I would highly recommend Jaws of the Lion to anyone. And you can pick it up for like $19 to $25 if you look in the right spots. It's super cheap and it's a ton of game. Uh, that's always my first recommend. And then if you like that, well then, you know, look on June 20th on backer kit, maybe you pick up the, the, the second edition of Gloomhaven or jump beyond because Frosthaven definitely is a step beyond Gloomhaven. Uh, you wouldn't have to play Gloomhaven to play Frosthaven, but you definitely need some experience in the universe. I would think to fully enjoy and appreciate what's going on in Frosthaven, especially with that kind of investment up front. Yeah. And I, th- you know, I even think, I think you're dead on, but I think it's, it's a big jump jumping into Gloomhaven without Jaws of the Lion, I think, which is Absolutely. what a lot of people did because Jaws of the Lion came out much later than, than mm-hmm. the original Gloomhaven. And so there were yeah. a lot of people that dive, dove in head first, and then when Jaws of the Lion comes out, it really eases you into it, as in 
you don't have the full rules until what, like halfway through the, and maybe not halfway through, but there's, it's, it's pretty deep into it, I guess. Um, yeah. Which I love. I love that aspect of it, which is, it made Gloomhaven more palatable for me just because I did Jaws of Lion first. So. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. I had a bu- Phil buddy of ours who, who taught me Gloomhaven. Uh, if he hadn't done that, I don't know if I could have jumped into that on my own because we did that very early on when, when I was in the hobby. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, well, good times. That's that's fantastic. I look forward to hearing more about that. I was telling Darren, I, I want to hear more. You know, it's okay if we talk about games more than once on the show, and so especially if you're going through a large campaign like that, I'd love to have, you know, some updates as we go and and hear does this hold up? You know, fifty fifty scenarios in, or you know, is it is it starting to get a little bit stale? But obviously, Gloomhaven didn't do that for you, so I'm real interested to see what what Frosthaven does. And I guess yeah. you are too. Uh, absolutely there's something powerful about those cards so it it just felt good to have them in my hand again so that is Frosthaven. all right well a game another game that i got played recently which is a game that i love quite a bit and i think might eventually creep up into my top definitely my top it's a top 100 game for sure and it probably is a top 50 game i'm going to dive a little bit more into it but that is cthulhu death may die that's another dungeon crawl back-to-back mm. dungeon crawl talks here you don't get that johnny meepletown doesn't talk about dungeon crawls <laughs> actually he does he likes loser quite a bit um so cthulhu death may die is pretty interesting this is a design by rob davio and eric lang so right off the bat boom two of my favorites love it mm. just talked about rob davio and the stranger things game last uh, whoa it was not last week it was like a month ago or more at, at this point and the timeline the multiverse is is getting to be very confusing <laughs> Time travel. I'm ready to get past that. But Cthulhu Death May Die, what you are doing is you are trying to disrupt a ritual um, and and slay the Elder Gods that are going to be coming onto the board. Now, if you don't disrupt the ritual before the Elder God comes out, you still get a chance to punch him in the face and attack him. But I'm telling you, to defeat the Elder Gods in this game, it is not an easy task. But basically what you're doing is you're going around completing different tasks. You've got uh, an elder, when you're setting up the game, you're going to pick an elder god. The base game comes with two, and then you're going to pick an episode. I think the base game comes with maybe uh, six or something like that. You're going to pick one and one, mix all the cards up and all that good stuff together, and then you're going to be going around the board doing the things that you're supposed to be doing to disrupt the ritual. And, and again, defeating monsters on the board, but also eventually you need to defeat the Elder God. That's that's the uh, that's the crux of this. But if I'm talking about the first episode, you, um, you're you basically going around destroying these lives. And I've played this one multiple times, but I recently just went back and played the, the first episode. You're destroying these labs, and fire is getting, you know, setting fire all over the place. Everything's burning to the ground, and you're trying to put these fires yes. out and, and destroy the labs. Because when you destroy the labs, that's what's going to be the thing that disrupts the ritual. At the same time, whenever you're flipping over these mythos cards, which are like the the enemy phase. So you take your actions, they take their actions, which is flipping over a card and adding monsters or doing things. Eventually, whenever these three symbols come up in the discard pile, you're going to move the the Elder God up on the track. And so there's like this looming feeling like oh something bad is about to happen whenever this thing comes out and and if you can disrupt the ritual before it it actually comes out it becomes a little bit easier you've got uh you know 
I say easy, it's not an easy game, but a little bit easier to defeat the Elder God, but you're going to have to beat it multiple times. Like you hit it for, if you're playing Cthulhu, you have to hit it for 12 damage, and then you flip a card over, and then you have to do it another time for 12, and another time for 12, which is not an easy thing to do. So the hero part, let me talk about that real fast. The heroes are what what I really, really love about this game, because as their sanity is dropping, every time you roll dice, and this is a dice chucker. This is a, a come on game game. Every time you roll dice, these uh, uh, Cthulhu tentacle symbols will come up, and that means you're going to lose sanity. Losing sanity is not necessarily bad in this because the more sanity you lose, the stronger your character is going to get, the more, the more abilities that you're going to get with your character. But eventually, if you lose too much sanity, then you lose the game because you, you go crazy. I love that aspect of the game. It's so clever because it's it's you're like, okay, this is good. I, I want to lose sanity early at the at the game because my character is going to get stronger and stronger. But then towards the end of the game, you're like, okay, slow down. I can't do this anymore because I'm uh, it's I'm on the brink of destroying my brain. Basically, is is what this comes down to. Such a cool idea. And then and then each character also has weaknesses. So every time you reach a certain threshold something bad happens like if you're a, if you're a pyromaniac you're going to set fire to things or you know whatever that is and so it's you know kind of the, all those cthulhu games share some of those things in common you have not played this game correct i have not uh, i am intrigued though i hear about the kind of the silly fun nature of it is is this a game that you see like never really getting stale or old um do you think the scenarios are, are are replayable? How does that how does that work? How replayable is this game? Oh, oh, it's very replayable. I think um, I can go back. If the game was just an episode or two in the box, I think it's still replayable in in the same vein of like Pandemic is replayable, right? In Pandemic, you're doing okay. the same thing over and over again. Every single time you play the game, you're trying to save the world, but it's how you how you do it. Um, you know, you have different characters in Pandemic. You have different characters in this one. Uh, the cards that flip over that come out are going to change the way the board plays out. That's exactly the same way this works. Now, this game is nothing like Pandemic, but the replayability, if you only had one episode, would be similar to the replayability in Pandemic. But it's not. You've got six episodes that do play, or again, I say six. I really don't remember exactly how many it is in the base box, but enough that it's going to make it worth your while, I guess. The, okay. um, the characters are... Really, for me, the other thing that that add to a lot of variability in the gameplay, um, because they play out so differently. Some are going to be good. One of the characters I was playing with was a good protector. And so as my character got stronger and stronger, I was able to kind of take some of the slack off the other player. If they're getting attacked and I'm in the same place, I can say, nope, I'll take the damage on that so that I can set you up to be able to do other things because their special ability was was to be able to basically hit more because they're going to get more... Um, uh, they're going to be able to to get more successes in their dice rolls than what my character is, and so I love that balance and how they play together well. And you have to figure out those, you know, you, you have to you have to figure out how they work well together and and kind of strategize based on the strengths of your characters. So, so yeah, I think it's highly replayable, and that's just the base box. There's a season two; they just had another Kickstarter that uh, offers some more boxes. I actually did not back any of the Kickstarter. I don't have any of the Kickstarter things for this game. Surprise, Cheap surprise. Scoop. I only have season one and season two, but I haven't even gotten into season two because I've not come close to 
experiencing mm-hmm. everything that I want to in season one. In fact, I don't even think I've even played all the different characters. Um, I don't have the... I tried to pull up the rule book, but I can't find it on on BGG. But the amount of characters that are in the game, it's 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 pretty high. There's a lot of different characters in here. So, yep, lots of replayability. I love this game. I think you would like this one quite a bit, too. So I, I know we both love uh, Mansions of Madness. I know that's one of the that's a top game for you, and and probably is for me too. Uh, one of the one of the reasons why I've not actively sought out playing this game was because I've got everything for Mansions. Mm-hmm. Is there a big enough difference between the two? Because I watched them again. I love Eric Lang and I love Rob Davio, uh, but is there a big enough of a difference between the two to 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 make you want to to have both, or or what would you say is the biggest difference between them? The characters you've you've mentioned that a lot. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say the biggest difference, some of the biggest differences, and and I do think there's there's room on the shelf for both of these. Mansions of Madness is very story driven, um, to the point of if you're looking for like a strong strong gameplay, I don't think you really like. That's not why I play Mansions of Madness, right? Mm-hmm. I, I play it because I want to see how the story unfolds, and you know, there's there's a lot of tension there with. You know, do I go off by myself? Do I stay with a group or whatever? And if you go off by yourself, bad things can happen and you don't know what's going to happen, that sort of thing. In Cthulhu Death May Die, one, you have the map all there out there for you. You know, you're not you're not discovering new tiles as you go, which is which is different in and of itself. It becomes more about the gameplay and less about the story, even though the story is present because each of the different episodes offers flavor text and and the story that sets you up but then as you flip over these different cards i didn't mention this but you also have these uh, cards that you can discover if you're in a space by yourself you'll basically do a search at the end of your turn that will give you an item or an ally and there's some text that goes along with that some flavor text that actually adds to the story but it's not like this linear story that happens it's it unfolds out in random ways and it's not as it's not as prominent as what you're going to see in mansions of madness So, so yes very different the gameplay of this is, I think that it's it is it's stronger. The um, the way you you're strategizing the the actions that you're taking, I think all of the gameplay part is stronger. The mechanisms in this are stronger, but the story's not as strong as what it is in Mansions of Madness. So okay. I still prefer Mansions of Madness for that experience, but it's but again, they're kind of apples and oranges. Okay, well, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll give it a shot. Bring it to game point sometime. Okay. All right. We'll we'll do that. That'll be a it's it's a bit of a table hog, but you they've got big tables there. We can we can make That's that right. work. All right. So that is Cthulhu Death May Die. Do we have time for one more? Because oh, uh, we got time. We've got time. We're okay. we're all, we're actually I didn't mention this. We're taking out one of the segments that we normally do. We're not going to do the news one mainly because it's going to be so uh so far in the future when we actually post this episode that it might not make sense to do the news. So we'll we'll hold off on that one for this time. So yeah, okay. go ahead. Okay, we'll do one more because, and I'll make it quick because we're about to turn into a secret cabal episode and spend <laughs> an hour talking about a recent place, which is awesome. I love it. Uh, real quick, played this one again um, a few nights ago. Played this with some students of ours, and this is a classic card game from one of my favorite designers, the good Doctor Reiner Knizia. This is High Society. Uh, this is a fantastic card game. I know if you know anything about Kinesia, 
He is the master of auction games and bidding games, at least in, in my opinion, and the opinion of, of, of anyone that knows anything about board games. But High Societies is quick, fast playing, playing about 20 minutes, where uh, everyone has a handful of money of varying quantities. Um, and you're basically being the High Society folks that you are you're bidding on these special point cards in the middle of the table and um, a card will flip over. It'll be worth so many points. And then everyone has to go around uh, bidding on this, on this card to take that many points. And uh, once you put a card down to, to bid on it, then the next person gets a chance to bid the next person. As soon as someone passes on bidding that they get their money back. And once there's only one person left to bidding on this, they spend that money. They take those points. There's also some negative cards in there. And then when the negative card comes up, uh, you still have to bid on this, except it's it's kind of the reverse. Uh, people have to put money down to see who's going to take this negative card. And the first person to pass takes the negative card, which could be get rid of one of your scoring cards, or it could be a minus five. It could be half of all your total points. But whoever takes this negative card actually gets to keep their money and everybody else that bid on not taking it has to lose their money. And so there's this constant tension of trying to hang on to your your money and trying to hang on to your points and not take the negative, but only take the negative when you really want to. And again, there's so much strategy going on as you try to manipulate other people into taking stuff that you don't want or having them leave things there that, that you want. And you know, the goal of the game, whoever has the most points at the end wins, but whoever has spent the most money is automatically disqualified from the game. And so even if you've got more points than anyone, if you spent more money than everyone else, you are too poor to be a part of high society and can no longer win the game. And so that constant tension that is there that, that, that no one does better than Kinesia. Uh We played this um, the, <laughs> with my wife and two other students. And this is not my wife's favorite game at all. She, she really does not like these auction and bidding games, but she played it with us, I think out of pity. Um, but, but it was great, like teaching them and watching them um, learn, learn the strategy of, of some of this and, and, and trying to manipulate each other. And I can always count on my wife to, um, to really make it easy for me to win because she, <laughs> she'll just always take stuff that she shouldn't take. And, and she did this time. And, uh, the only reason I won really was because she spent 2,000 more francs than I did. But but it's great. It's always a blast. Again, I love the games that are above the table where you're really interacting, uh, trying to get in each other's heads. And High Society never disappoints. I highly recommend. <laughs> You've heard me talk about this. And Darren actually is the one that recommended this to me. Uh, my wife does not like this game like yours. That's my brother-in-law used some profanity that I didn't, I didn't even know existed. <laughs> playing this game um he, <laughs> that's still uh, one of my favorite stories did not love this game at all and it was because he lost by spending too much money every time and it, i will say too this is a game that is difficult when you're teaching somebody for them to wrap their minds around because it's one thing to want to lose uh, sorry want to win a bit and that part makes sense but when you have those negative cards that you don't want to get you know that that throws people off i think and and you know i i get that but there's other games that do that as well so i i like this game uh i don't know how much i like it because i i need to play with people that really like the game and not people that my right my sister-in-law i don't think she hated this game i think actually she probably won the games that we played every time hmm. but 
so maybe that helped with it. I don't think she hated it as much as, as my brother-in-law did. And again, my wife, she, yeah, she really didn't like it either. So yeah, that's, that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, fun times. High society. There we go. All right. We're going to talk about our top, but well, we're going to talk about Darren's top five games that got him into the hobby. All right, so we are talking about games that got us into the hobby. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but John and I, in our first episode, did this as our top five together. And so what I wanted to do, you can go back and listen to that episode if you want. I would imagine it's pretty garbage. I listened to it, and uh, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe it's not so bad. It, I, it's, I do great. Think we Im- it's great. It's <laughs> great. I think we improved, hopefully. But I in that list, and I'll stick with my list because if it's the games that got me in the hobby you know, when we did this list four years ago, it's the same. There's still the same games that got me into the hobby. So if you want to know more about my thoughts on these, then then uh, you can go back and listen to that. But what I really wanted to do is hear Darren's list, kind of compare, and I might have some questions as we go through his list. But real briefly, when we did this episode, my top five games that got, when I say top five, like these are the first five that got me into the hobby, essentially. Uh, Yahtzee, which is a game I kind of grew up on, but also played a lot in my young adult years. Catan, which is Imagine is probably on most people's list. Puerto Rico, which was my my next step after that. And then Into Seven Wonders and King of Tokyo, which are all, they're not exactly the same game. You know, these aren't all Yoroi. There's some, some uh, King of Tokyo is more of that Amerithrashi game. Zombicide is another one that could have been in there. It was it was somewhere in the, the fold, maybe right after these ones. But, but Zombicide was definitely really quickly after that. So... That is my five that got me into the hobby. But what people really want to know is what got Darren into the board gaming hobby. Well, you know, um, growing up, we were never a gaming family. Uh, That was just not something we did. We had lots of toys. We had games. But we didn't, from, I guess, a modern hobby perspective, you wouldn't consider us necessarily a gaming family. But one you of the were games a basketball that I family, can, probably you were. We were a, a basketball were family. Nine we, feet tall we and so definitely, <laughs> We uh, we we definitely played a lot of sports. We had uh, both my brother and sister played baseball and softball, and and we all played basketball. And dad coached and 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 worked uh, various stuff after school and did things on weekend. We, we we were a very busy family. But when we were home and we were playing games, um, there. There was one in particular that stands out, at least when I was when I was younger, that, well, we played lots of games as kids. But if there was one that sort of is um, at least hobby adjacent, if not a hobby game, I would say the first one would be Stratego. Mm. Stratego, uh, again, if you don't know, probably do. Two-player game. Uh, sort of a capture the flag with with hidden characters and hidden movements. You know, you're, you've got your 30, 40 pieces on the board of of different value, anything from your lowly soldier up to your general. And uh, they all have different values printed on the pieces. And basically, you know, you've got your your flag that you hide somewhere on your board because all of your pieces are, are facing uh, towards you. And so your opponent can't see what your pieces are or where they are. So you've got a flag that you're hiding somewhere amongst your army and you've got bombs that you can use to, to, to protect it or, or plant somewhere out amongst your, amongst your army. You've got soldiers that will move across the field and try to find the other person's flag 
and you know you can like it's been so long since I've played. You can move a piece that so I think like one space either forward or to the side. Uh, I think, and then you know, if you move into a space with another piece, you see who's got the the higher value or the lowest value, depending on the version of game you have, how old it is. Because this game goes back to like 1946. I'm pretty sure it's based on something older than that, like back in the early 1900s. But it, it, you compare your pieces. Whoever has the the, the better piece there um, takes takes that space and takes that character, kind of like a checkers or, or chess kind of kind of vibe. And, you know, you can even move into bomb spaces and be blown up and, and whatever. Either way, you're, you're, you're moving across the board trying to find the flag. And, and it was great. It's simple. But, uh, man, I can remember playing this so much, especially with my brother. We would play this a lot as we were kids. I can remember, like, our church's New Year's Eve party, sitting over there in the corner with my copy of Stratego, waiting for someone to come play with me, hoping my brother or someone else would come and play. I just wanted to play this game all the time. I Maybe this is why I like some of the Kinesia games that are, that are so much uh, kind of head games because a lot of it is, you know, do I hide my flag over here surrounded by bombs or do I maybe put it out in the open and hide it where, you know, in plain sight? And, you know, how do you move and trying to guess what the other person may do and how they may do it? Um, something about that, I think, has been formative for me in a lot of ways as I enter into the, the hobby many, many years later. But, um, but yeah, at a young age, Stratego was a huge influence on me yeah i don't know if i've ever played stratego in fact i mentioned you that, should be ashamed yeah i know and i actually have a <laughs> copy of it my my uh mm. wife's uncle just found a copy and gave it to me several years ago because he knew i was into board games but i my you know i mentioned the the group that i get together the the guys we call it the mancation group and we get together and play games mm. that is a staple in mancation but I don't know if I've ever joined in a game of that because I've always been wow. playing something else. Now, what I have played is Lord of the Rings Confrontation, the Confrontation, which is again by the the good Doctor Reiner Knizia, and uh, wow. then a later version that was that was uh, Eric Lang was involved in some of the design of that one as well. But it's it's yeah. real similar, but you're you're you, there's some card play aspect along with it. Yeah, I've heard of that comparison of. Lord of the Rings, the confrontation to Stratego. Basically, it's a theme. I really want to play that. I've looked for it. I can't find a copy anywhere, but I'd really like to play oh, it just right? for just for that reason. Yeah, I have the first edition uh, edition of this one, which is I don't know if it's I I don't think it's the better one. It seems like there was some changes made in the because there's three mm -hmm. designers listed as the uh, the new version of it. So I don't know. I don't know enough about the different versions. I just know I found this copy for like twenty bucks a couple years ago, so I picked it up. Wow, cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Good, good. Well, yeah. Good. I, I, it's not a good pick. It is. It's just a pick. This you have no control over what you've done in the past. So, no, not at all. But that is my fifth pick, my <laughs> earliest Stratego. All right. What What do you got next? Well, from there again, just, let's just fast forward many years. There's lots of games that I would love to to talk about uh, between then and and this next game. But but if I had to pick one that sort of really ushered me into what what I consider hobby board gaming would be one that we were playing on a, it was a game night that we had with our college students and we were hosting a game night. Our college students were hosting a game night with our church's youth group and someone brought this game. We pick it up and some kind of like had this really cool cover with some civilization-y looking stuff on there. And someone said something about card drafting. I don't know what that was. And so of course, talking about Seven Wonders. This is mm, the, yeah. the the Antoine Bauza classic 
And we, we sat there and, you know, basically you've got these cards that you're, you're picking a card that you're going to play and you're passing them. And so you're doing this card drafting, you take one and you pass Sushi Go-esque and, and, and other games like that. And you're trying to build up your, your civilization here on this board and you're gaining resources and you're trying to build buildings and some buildings tag off of other buildings. If you have this building, you can build this building for free. And uh, just the way that this game worked, the first time we played it, we had no clue what we were doing. <laughs> this was just totally foreign to us playing this type of game. And some people talk about Seven Wonders being a, a gateway game or a welcoming game. I don't know if I would say that. I mean, it kind of did that for me, but it also blew my brain a little bit because we didn't know quite what we were doing. I would say this might be a next step kind of game if you're going to welcome someone into the hobby. But yeah. but we played it and we we messed up. And um, who knew that if you just let someone collect all the green cards, they would just destroy everyone. <laughs> and so we played that the first time like, oh, so this is how this works that we were so fascinated by it. We're like, all right, let's play again. And so shuffled them up and we, and we went and we did it again. And I'm pretty sure we played it a third time too, right then. And this was the first game, I think, that really showed me kind of what hobby board gaming could be. And at this point, I'm like, okay, I think I'm hooked. I really want to explore what else is out there. I would make, I would, you know, lighthearted jabs at some of my friends or family that that would play some board games. You know, you geek, you nerd, you know, whatever. I played Seven Wonders. I'm like, okay, I think I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, this game is one, you know, out of all these lists, some of these games may or may not hold up over time. Seven Wonders is one that absolutely holds up for me anyway. I actually just at a game day, maybe a month or two ago, got to play this with the, uh, oh, what's the expansion with this one? The, the Edifice? Oh, I'm yeah. Sorry. Well, no, 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 not not Edifice. Um, although I have played, so I have the original, the first edition of this, and so it's the uh, oh goodness, what is the expansion with that Babylon or something like that? I can't remember. Yeah, Babel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, or Babel. Maybe. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, that I, that's probably right. It is Babel, and uh, so right. I played I played that expansion, which is the same as Edifice, if I understand that correctly, or at least similar to that. It's the Armada part of it. one is yeah. that's that's right. So the Armada is the one that introduced the ships, and mm-hmm. I've heard Steph Hodge talk about this before. How that's so good, and actually she's she was at this game day and she taught it to us. Uh, it was at our uh, our friend Jonathan's house, and it was really good. Like I mean, it it bumped the game up for me even that much higher because you're the Armada. You're moving these ships up a track, and there's extra battles that happen with the Armada, which is pretty interesting. But also, as you move up the track, you get these bonuses unlocked and points unlocked and all that good stuff. So it's, yeah, this it's really, really good. But the game itself, even if you just play the base game, fantastic. If you've never played it before, I actually recommend Seven Wonders Architects, which is that gateway game that that I think would have been more helpful probably for me and maybe even you and, and as we entered into the hobby. But either way, Seven Wonders is a fantastic game. Yeah, I've actually gone out and gotten the second edition, and I now have all of the the expansions for it, and I've pre-ordered Edifice, and just kind of waiting for that to to come. I guess it's available, Ooh. but it's sitting at miniature market, waiting for me to get enough for free shipping. But but yes, yeah, so yeah, I'm looking forward to, to playing have, all those. I'd love to have the second edition of this one. That's what we played with that day. Is mm-hmm. the cards are beautiful? Mostly, honestly, having the the way that the cards stack on top of each other, which is not a huge deal. 
Um, but in the original edition, they're like stacking at an angle where this one, they just mm-hmm. stack straight up and down. So it's not as much of a table hog as what the original one was, but love yeah, it. the way they've Number refashioned one. those cards is great. It makes it so much easier to play and understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. I agree. All right. Good pick. Seven wonders. <laughs> <laughs> Good pick. It's a classic. Okay, number three. Um, this one was one that after I played Seven Wonders, I'd been, I used to be so much of a book collector, less so now because books take up space for board games. And so I've, I've stopped buying as many books and I buy more digital books. But, but we used to always go to Barnes & Noble and I can remember walking through Barnes & Noble and just watching their game section evolve over the years. And I would always see this one game cover staring at me. It always intrigued me because I liked spooky things. I like Halloween. I like haunted houses. I like uh, those type of, of horror movies and books. And and I saw this game and, and I kept wanting to get it. And eventually after I played Seven Wonders, like, okay, I'm going to buy some of these hobby games. And the, the first one I bought was Betrayal at House on the Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, a, again, an older game. This is 2004. But... Um, and I, and I know it's quirky, it's got its problems, but you know, it's a co-op game, at least at first, which, which I always love the idea of, of playing together cooperatively because sometimes competition makes me feel bad, um, uh, either, you know, either getting too competitive or, or, or whatever. So I love that idea of a co-op game, but the fact that there's also a, at some point a haunt begins and somebody becomes a traitor. That was always exciting. Okay, now it's a one versus many kind of game or a, or a team versus team kind of game. But basically you go to this haunted house and you're flipping over tiles to see what the next room is and you don't know what lurks behind that next tile flip and what's going to be in the room. Is it going to be something positive? Is it negative? Uh, well, will you fall through a coal chute into the basement and just be abandoned there because your teammates don't want to go down there either because bad things happen in the basement. Uh, the the cards that you get, the events that be positive, just the, the writing on these cards I always found fascinating. And so you're drawing these cards, you're trying to build up these, these, these items so you can explore the house and defend yourself. Um, more greatly when, when the hunt does begin. And then at some point in time, you find enough omen cards where you've rolled these omen dice and, oh, lo and behold, the hunt has begun. And now one of us is a traitor and they got to go off into another room and, and read their rule book. And we all read ours and we conspire and then we come back. And then it's, it's, it's just a bloodbath, uh, literally and physically, because the way the cards talk about it, this is a very gruesome game. I'm like, this is a family game. They put sickly sweet blood, like come out of the walls. What is going on here? Uh, I just had never experienced anything like that. And so that kind of, it sounds terrible, but that kind of potential for demonic possession and, and, and just turning them on another and bloodbath and, you know, those kind of movies, especially like the, the, the demonic possession kind of stuff has always uh, appealed to me. Not that I'm going to go summon some demons or anything, but, um, but that game really, really did a lot for just that whole part of the, the imagination. Um, Betrayal was great. And we've even played now her recently uh, with some students of ours. I know, God forgive me. Uh, we, we played Betrayal Legacy and went through that whole campaign this last semester. Ooh. And that was a blast, too. The story there was was phenomenal. And again, this is a game that Rob Davio, like he, his name keeps coming up, had worked on. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm sure you've played Betrayal a lot, Dean. A whole lot. I still play it every year. This is a mm. this is a staple in our Halloween collection. And, you know, I love Halloween games and all the things that you're talking about as well. I, 
Yes, um, I will continue to play this game. I do. Part of me wishes there was a uh, a second edition of this that that changed some things. Some of the haunts are better than others for sure, and there was an expansion that came out that did not fix anything. In fact, it, it may have even made it worse in some aspects because you've had all <laughs> different designers, so you really don't know what you're going to get with with right. some of the some of the haunts. And if you're playing with new people. There is that challenge of I, I actually hope that this new person at the table doesn't get the haunt because then they're going to have to go in another room room and read this book and they don't really know exactly what right. is going on here. I, not that the rule book is bad or really. I mean, I think it does a good job of explaining it, but you have to go in another room and read a, quite a bit. And so some of that can be confusing for people who have not played a lot of games. And so we've kind of adjusted that at points. If it's like, hey, this brand new person is going to get the haunt. Let's just pretend that they didn't roll the haunt and, and we'll just continue on and then maybe somebody else will get it in the future. So right. good, bad, or ugly, I, that's the way we've do, done it. Now, yeah. Legacy, that's one that I've really regretted not picking up. Uh, yep, and you cannot find this game. It's it's yep, Really? I, I, I don't know if it's going to be reprinted or not. I mean, you can pay wow. hundreds of dollars for it, I think, but I'm not going to. Not going to do that, but if it if it was easily accessible, I really I would have picked this one up because the game group that played Pandemic Legacy is also the one that I played Betrayal like mm. Betrayal with, and they love that game a lot. So I don't know, I'm kicking myself for never picking that up. But yeah, you should because if you have that kind of a group, uh, they would really enjoy like. And the cool thing about Betrayal Legacy, unlike Pandemic, it is replayable. Like you have your own unique version of Betrayal now. You can play once you're done with the campaign. And some of the stuff it adds is so stinking cool. Now, there is a third edition of Betrayal. Have you seen this? Uh, they put uh, out a third edition several months ago that I don't know how much of Legacy is kind of thrown in there, but there is a new edition that supposedly fixes some of the haunts and changes uh, who who becomes a traitor and when. It's, it's borrowed a little bit from what they put into the uh, Scooby-Doo game, uh, from what I understand the what is it betrayal at mystery mansion or something oh right yeah yeah um so so there's some of those things that that makes it easier for for beginners uh or or new people to the game to to be the trader if necessary and uh supposedly does some really nice thematic things i've not played it but and i probably won't because now i'll have my own unique copy of betrayal through legacy so yeah and i vaguely remember seeing this this come out but i need to i need to check it out i actually bought mine used several years ago my assumption is well i have the second edition i guess gotcha. um first Probably. edition came out a long time ago yeah. um, but i've had second edition for a long time i need to i'll look into this that's another good pick yep, yep. <laughs> of course it is don't doubt me so yes that is betrayal at house on haunted hill the next one is another again kind of thematic game it goes back to part of the reason i got into board gaming was because my family when I was growing up, we, like I said, we had a lot of toys, we had some games, but we spent a lot of our family time watching television and movies. And I don't mean that like we just vegged out in front of it, like in the movie Matilda or anything like that was not us. We watched shows and talked about the shows while we were there. Like I, I learned world history and about culture through shows like MASH and, and Andy Griffith when I was growing up because stuff would happen. My parents would talk about it. We would ask questions. We would have conversations about life and the world while we're mm-hmm. watching these shows and movies. It was never just a veg out kind of thing. And so that's just sort of naturally how our family started. But, but, but Cindy, my wife, has never been into 
uh, watching movies and and sitting down. You know, she she'll fall asleep if she sit there and watch, and watch a movie for too long. So she wanted to do something that was more interaction, uh, or had something that had more interaction. And about that time, our youngest, um, when she was little, she liked playing some games like um, like Disney Beat the Parents. She always wanted to play Disney Beat the Parents or some kind of Disney I Spy or the, those types of games. And and that's fine for a while, but that kind of gets old. And so eventually we're like, man, what are some games that we can play together that we can all enjoy and not just do because the kids want to? Mm-hmm. Well, everybody in the family is a Harry Potter fan. Oh yeah, We love the movies. We love the books. And then when I learned that there is a Harry Potter board game that was getting lots of good reviews, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. That this was a no-brainer for my family. Uh, took it home. I know people talk about it being a simple deck building game. And I had played Star Realms, and so I knew a little bit about how deck building worked. But uh, but Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, I brought this home, and this was a hit with the family, at least for the first four books. <laughs> so yeah. in Harry yeah. Potter Hogwarts Battle, you know, it's, it's a typical deck building game. You start with a hand of cards. You use them to buy better cards. You've got this market of cards out there where you can get uh, items from the Harry Potter world or characters from the Harry Potter world, and you put them into your deck. And it makes your deck better and you've got certain abilities and character. Each of you plays one of the major characters from the movie and they each have their own special ability. And so it's a cooperative game. Again, love co-ops. You're helping each other uh, fight off the, the death eaters one by one and trying to avoid some of the curses and things they can throw on you. This was such a great game for my family until about, like I said, book four. Because it got really hard when you've got four people, it's hard to to, yes. to take care of of every of everything and to feed everything. And so this was one that we kind of took a break on. We kept trying and trying, but couldn't really get past it. And then it kind of just got grindy and wasn't as much fun for us uh, after a while. But that one really sucked in the family into a total full family gaming experience, more so than games like Forbidden Island and others, which could easily become alpha gamerish even with with the family. But Harry Potter was much more. Uh, at least for us, uh, universal people chiming in. But after we stopped, eventually, Kenzie, our youngest, the one who wanted to play games to begin with, who oddly enough is now the hardest one to get to play games. <laughs> but either way, she was the catalyst for so much of this. Uh, she and I ended up playing through the rest of the thing together and had a much better, much easier time playing in it too. I think after your recommendation of just playing in it too. And uh, so, yeah, and so some, that was... In some ways, too, really was... Uh, kind of too easy at, at, at sometimes. Yeah. So, which made me go out and buy the expansions. Like we threw in monsters and threw in yeah. charms and that, that definitely up the intensity level, but, but good, good thematic game. If you're a fan of the movies, that was the one that, uh, that I would highly recommend not too hard to teach uh, a lot of fun moments and memories in that one. Yeah. You've played- so yeah, I played all the way through this yeah. one at two and I don't know if we ever played all the way through the uh, fantastic beast box. Um, Maybe, but it's less scenarios if I remember right, but it's it's been so long since we got to this to the table. But when our youngest got old enough to to read, then we we played the uh, Toy Story version of this, Obstacles and something or another. <laughs> I don't remember mm, what that was yeah, called. Yeah. But it's the exact same game. I mean, pretty much. Pretty much the same game uh, and uh, caters to a younger audience for sure. He really loved this one. I don't. We never played all the way through that one, but we played through several scenarios, and 
and really enjoyed it. And we still have it, so I we need to play through that. But yeah, this is this was fun. And then they came out with a two player version of Hogwarts Battle, which is a dueling version of this game. And yeah. I wasn't as in I wasn't as enamored by this one. My wife likes this one quite a bit. Um, yeah, so we've held on to this one, but it's been a while since we've played it. In fact, I was I'm getting ready to get rid of some games to sell some games and all that, and. This is one that I was like, hey, can we just get rid of the dueling version of this one? She was like, no, we got to hold on to it. So <laughs> it's part of a yeah. set. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so anyway, that's a gotcha. that's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Let's hear your number one game that got you in the hobby. Number one. And, and again, like I mentioned earlier, I feel like part of the reason why I'm in this hobby, it really is your fault because when we were at a conference in 2019, early 2019, you had never, t- we'd been friends for years, but I never knew you were into to board gaming. And I had just been having some of these revelational board game experiences, um, but keeping it to myself because I didn't know anybody else to talk about it with. And then we're, we're at a breakfast at that Florida conference in January in 2019, or was it 2020, right before the world blew up? It was 2019. It was 2019. And uh, a buddy of ours, a mutual friend, was making fun of you in front of everybody for hosting a board game podcast. Oh, that's right. He is quite the jerk. He, he is quite the jerk. He he is the Michael Jordan of jerks. And <laughs> and uh, the uh, and I'm sitting beside you in this. I look over at you. I'm like, you host a board gaming podcast? I'm like, yes. <laughs> so we started talking. I started listening to Meeple Town. And in some of y'all's early conversations, you mentioned this game that really struck to the heart of who I am. Being someone of, of German heritage, German ancestry, uh, last name Frudenthal, when I heard the name Taverns of Tiefenthal, I thought, ah, I, I know what this means. The, the, the Taverns of the Deep Valley, this is German. Oh, it's about like trying to improve a, 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 a beer hall, a beer house. And oh, it involves deck building. I like deck building. And so I ordered this game off of Amazon right then, played it, and just loved it. Again, Taverns of Teeth and Tall, everyone's trying to, to build up their own tavern and make it the best, most profitable tavern. And it is a deck building game. You've got a board there with these little tiles on there that you can flip over as you upgrade parts of your tavern, as you get extra weight staff, as you get more, um, I forget the name, beer mongers or, or whatever the case may be. And you're and you're building your deck to to increase your staff to to gain more money to uh, invite to, to get more tables and you're trying to invite these guests to come sit at your tables and you're doing this all through the the deck building and trying to get some nobles to come and have them sit together because you know they don't tip all that well so you need lots of them sitting together and uh, the 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 dynamic of the deck building with the upgrading of your tavern and flipping those those tiles over on your board. The, the theme of it just made like a personal connection with me. Again, Tiefenthal being Deep Valley, Frudenthal being Happy Valley or Friendly Valley. There was just something there. My, my family, my brother and some uncles are really deep into our family uh, heritage and ancestry. Can trace all the way back to like 17th century Germany, you know. And so, so, so automatically I was interested in this. And the more I played it, this was a game like, okay, if this is what hobby games are like, and yeah, man, I'm sold. Uh, let's let's buy them all. Let's mm. buy them all. I never so. made that connection between your your last name and this game, but 
I'm going to start calling you Fruden Tall instead of it, which is <laughs> appropriate for English too, because you're very tall. Well, there you go. And, and actually in German, it would be Freudenthal would Freudenthal. be the German pronunciation. Okay. We were That's in Germany and we told them our name. How do you pronounce it? We said Frudenthal. They all laughed at us because we, we said it so poorly. <laughs> That's so, yeah. You're a fan it's of taverns, right? Love this game. Love this game. In fact, recently I've been wanting to get to, this, to the table a lot and I've not yet, like within the last couple of weeks, I was like, oh, I got to play this game. I really want the expansion for this one too, the open doors. Do you have the expansion for this? I do. I've not played it yet, but I do have it. Okay. All right. Yeah, this, uh, it adds quite a bit. In fact, the the base game itself is really fun. It's one of those games like, uh, what's another one I'm thinking of, where you just add in all these modules. So it starts off mm-hmm. as a pretty, it's a pretty light game if you play it in and of itself, the base, you know, the base version. You add in the modules and because, uh, you know, more of a heavy game. Oh, um, Foundations of Rome is is another oh, okay. game like that. I really love that model of making it a i would say this is this is an entry level game the base game and you add mm-hmm. in the other stuff and it changes it quite a bit and then the expansion things you can throw in some more of those modules i think you don't throw in all of them but i really need to check this one out this is a great game i love this one i i gave high praise to this one and it's um it's not changed i, I still really like this one yeah and like the 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 base game being kind of an entry level. This is one that we taught to our girls and we played with them a few years ago and they enjoyed it, you know, even with the one or two of the modules thrown in, I forget the names of them. Like you said, it's been a while since we've had the chance to table it too, but, but yeah, very easy to, to teach to people. It can be a little frustrating, the deck building. Sometimes you don't get the cards out when you want them and what you need, but, but that can be any game that, that involves some of that. It's still the tactical strategy. You know, where do we go? What do I do? This isn't coming out. Um, how do I pivot? You know, what's again, anybody can play it. It's a, um, it's a lot of fun. It's been a big hit with us. Yeah. My guess, I, I'm wondering now, do you speak German, Darren at all? I, Some. You know, I, I know little bits. I've spent a lot of time in Duolingo over the years, but uh, I'm, I'm not very good. Okay. We have a, a decent amount of German listeners on the show or we had, they will probably leave after this. This guy is calling himself Frudenthal. I can't listen to this dog. <laughs> Guten Tag. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Freuden, Freudenthal. And this Freudenthal. Hefen Tall. Yeah. Uh, Don't judge pick. us. Yeah. Don't judge us. Thank you. <laughs> we yep. picked a, a, a German-based game, so you have to love us, right? <laughs> That's why we made it number one, baby. <laughs> Wolfgang Warsch is the designer of this one. Is, uh, yes, is yes. I forgot to himself German. So, All right. Well, that good, is, good pick. Okay. That is going to do it for this episode. Um, if you would like to get in touch with us, if you want to ask Darren personal questions about his his German heritage, um, definitely reach out to us and email mepletownmail at gmail.com. You can reach out to us through social media at Mepletown Games. That's Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, any of those areas. You can go connect with us on the, on the guild that is Board Game Geek Guild number 3407. And we really have been trying to build up our discord community one of the things that we want to do with meeple town is is to have a community of people that can talk about games and encourage one another to build up their own board game communities where they live and discord is a place where a lot of that chat happens and we talk about you know the things that are going on in our community so i highly recommend connecting with us there but until next night until next time thanks for coming down to meeple town
the beginning of an era.